So I've woken up and I'm going to read you something about the geological story of the Big Scrub, which is where I grew up and went to school, slightly different to where I'm living now. The Big Scrub's on generally red soil, it's a, um, got a lot of iron in it. Where I am at the moment is very clay, just on the edge of the Big Scrub. All of it's uh, kind of a result of volcanic activity a long time ago. But um, it's roughly, I don't know, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, I've been awake, maybe, I don't know, half an hour or so. Anyway, I thought I'd read you this little part called The Geological Story, A Muddy Beginning, from a book I've got that's The Depths of Time, and it's about this region. Um, (coughs) (coughs) Um, My rooster might be crowing in the background because it's coming close to dawn although he started a little while ago. Four. Okay, so the geological story, a muddy beginning. Is it, it is possible to sit on rocks and imagine incredible creative forces in the deep time that made them. Or going to the show at the Tintenbar Hall, walking along the Wilsons River in the hills near Mullumbimby, looking out from Cape Byron Lighthouse, sitting on a lonely hill near Nashua, or hastily driving up the range from Uralba to Austinville. You're experiencing the oldest land in our region. It may feel strange, but picture yourself deep in the inky darkness of the deep ocean. The only activity is the gentle settling of specks of mud and algae. Your feet are placed in the ooziest of muds. It's an odd thought, but such an environment is the very start of the big scrub. This oozy mud is where the big scrub began. It was a very long time ago, yet it may be a surprise that by our country's standards, the geology of our region is comparatively young. The oldest parts of Australia are 4,400 million years old, but our part of Australian continent did not exist back then. It was not until 300, no, 363 to 328, no, where am I getting my numbers? 363 to 320 million years ago that the foundation rock of our regions were formed. The old rocks of the big scrub lands were derived from the deep sea as sediments settled on the bottom of the sea floor. The sediments were first very fine and mainly consisted of microscopic silica-based skeletons of algae. The sediment was deposited slowly. There'll be turning of pages because it's natural. Over a long time, a great thickness of ooze accumulated. Occasionally, thicker layers of mud were deposited from submarine landslides. Rarely submarine volcanoes laid down lava that was quickly solidified by the deep, cold ocean of water. The process of plate tectonics, 
means that oceanic plates move slowly under continental plates. Gradually, our area came closer to the continental landmass as the oceanic plate pushed under the Australian continent. Tall, active volcanic mountain ranges existed along the edge of the continent, much like the mountain ranges of the Andes Mountains in South America today. As our area approached the continent, it meant that the size of the sediment particles increased. Erosion of the volcanic mountain ranges into the sea and continuing submarine landslides created layers in the sediments called turbidite sequences. Turbidite, turbidite sequences. These are sequences where the bottom is coarsely grained, usually sandy, and the top is fine grained, mud. This is because fine sediments take longer to fall out of the water. Further, nearby landslides started a new layer with coarse grained sands followed by finer grained mud, and so countless layers of sand and mud built up. Eventually our part of the world, which was the oceanic crust with its massive deep sea muds and turbidite, turbidite, crashed into the Australian plate and forced the oceanic plate under it. In the process, the sediments that were on the oceanic plate were squashed and stuck into the continent. Australia's size grew as it compressed marine sediments, built up a thick wedge of mud and turbidite at the edge of the continent. The pressure of the crustal plates sitting, sliding past each other, pushed the sediments together and bent the layers into a complex arrangements of folds and faults. The foundation rocks of our region were now part of Australia. We had joined the continent. By around 325 million years ago, the collision of the oceanic crustal plates in our region stopped. The muds had been squashed into rocks and then Nurenlay fern veiled beds had formed. Where once there was ooze, mud and sand, now there were sharp rocks hard on the feet as you walk around the headlands at Cape Byron. At that time, we were at the edge of a new continent. Not yet Australia, not even Gondwana, but an even more massive supercontinent called Pangaea. For many millions of years, rocks were eroded from the region. Very little deposition occurred. Many million, more million years passed until the next rocks were formed. And what happened locally in the intervening time is lost to history. It is not only, it's not until intervening time is lost to history. It is not until the period of the dinosaurs that the next group of big scrub rocks were preserved. Big basins. In the northern rivers, few places are better to see geological layers than at the village of Bexhill. An old quarry is situated at the centre of the village and here the sedimentary layers can be read like the pages of a book. Each layer is a page that tells a story. The story of a volcanic eruption that burned the land featureless. A story of swamp told by a layer of coal. A meandering flowing river told by a layer of round stones. A story of lake told by a mudstone with pieces of petrified wood that had sunk to the bottom. The layers of rock at Bexhill were formed some 50 or 60 million years after the early foundation of rocks 
of the Nurinlay Fernvale beds. <coughs> These rocks are part of the Clarence Morton Basin. The Clarence Morton Basin begins and ends in the age of the dinosaurs. The beginning of the dinosaurs was fraught and dangerous time. It was dangerous even to the dinosaurs. The land was changing. It was drawing slowly apart. The northern rivers was becoming thin as the crust was stretched. The thin crust let heat draw up from below. Volcanoes exploded across the landscape. These were not, not nice volcanoes. The lavas were sticky and thick and built up pressure. Explosions drove gas clouds and fragments of rock in superheated air for kilometres. These rocks are at Chillingham Volcanics and they heralded the incoming of the basins. The basins and the formation of rocks that filled the basins were a much more sedate affair. Today, the Northern Rivers has only a few visible places where the violence of these eruptions was preserved. The hills right next to the Clary Hall Dam and a layer of rock exposed to the cliffs at Evans Head are the best locations to see the Chillingham Volcanics. As the crust continued to stretch, vast lowland areas started to form. The sediments washed out of the surrounding hills and the volcanoes created stony layers as river rocks were washed onto lowlands. Eventually the lowland basins became so large <clears throat> that only slow meandering, meandering rivers covered the land. It is this time that the pages of the story told at Bexhill describe there were more changes as swamps came and went, sandy rivers covered the land with sand, and floods transported muds with fragments of wood from trees washed down. Each new layer preserved the one under it, telling us that the environment was telling us what the environment was like all those millions of years ago. Gondwana and the Tasman Sea. The formation of the last layers of rock at Bexhill marks a very important geological time. It's a time that a huge supercontinent, Pangaea, broke up, and that's when Gondwana became its own continent, with the present-day Australia and Antarctica being a large part of a new, smaller, but still impressive supercontinent. Massive change occurred, and the Earth inexorably, inexorably changed. If you enjoy the stunning outlook and spiritually inspired order of cathedral and cemetery on top of Bexhill, think about where the sandstone was when it originally formed. Incredibly, <coughs> our region was actually quite close south to the South Pole, yet temperatures in the area were quite warm. Because the climate of the whole earth was warmer and wetter than it is today, Life was abundant because summer days were nearly 24 hours long and concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, along with warmth and moisture, supercharged plant growth. In fact, even though our place was near the South Pole, permanent ice did not exist anywhere on Earth at that time. It was at that time that many of the plants synonymous with Australia, and more specifically the big scrub, began their separate evolutionary paths including the plant orders of the metales, which includes eucalyptus, bottle brushes, and lily pillies. Just as Gondwana formed from the breaking up of an event 
a larger continent, even larger continent. So did Gondwana begin to break up too. India broke away from Gondwana, followed by Antarctica, and finally at about 80 million years ago, the Tasman Sea started to form. Before the Tasman Sea formed, the landmass extended hundreds or even thousands of kilometres to the east before reaching the sea. As this eastern land separated from the Australian continent, it sank below the sea and now known as Lord Howe, submarine rise. It's a bit like a mythical land of Atlantis, a huge land submerged under the ocean. The Australian continent then finished only several of kilometres off the coast of the future Cape Byron. From the lighthouse at Cape Byron, look out at the distant seas and think of the land that once was there. Hills, valleys separated, now under the deep ocean of the Tasman Sea. Detachment of Lord Howe rise reduced the weight on the eastern side of Australia, which then began to lift up as a lighter crust floated on the deep mantle. This rising formed many of the inland ranges that now make up the Great Dividing Range. This continental crust, rebound, progressed over a long time, and by the time of its conclusion, the physical form of the Eastern Australia and the Big Scrub region was set for its last major changes through the actions of volcanoes. <coughs> the Austinville Plateau. By 40 or 50 million years ago, the Tasman Sea had reached its maximum width, but the trauma that Eastern Australia had experienced during this time was still being felt. Volcanic systems began to form throughout parts of Eastern Australia. In the New England, Hunter and Sydney areas, basalt lavas erupted from long vents, covered large areas with basalt lava. The same thing happened in our region, and until now, it was one of the relatively unknown parts of our history. At around 43 million years ago, during the Eocene Epoch, basalt lava flowed from vents somewhere in the area now known as Austinville Plateau, the area from Lismore to Lennox Head. The lava flows tended to flow towards the north and west because the hills of the Blackwell Range forms a barrier to the south and the old Wilson's River seems to have deflected from its southerly course and sent inland to join the Richmond River as lava flows cut off waterways from the original courses. Small lakes were formed where the lava flows dammed streams and created little sediments, little areas of sedimentary rocks known as diatomite and even poor quality opal. It's interesting to note that during the 20th century, Diatomite was mined from layers within the basalt at Tintinbar and Warella for use as a filter medium. Layers of diatomite were subsequently covered by new layers of lava, and during the time between lava flows, rich red soils developed. These were again covered by new lava. The rate of soil formation was higher during that time because the world climate was the warmest, more than 10 degrees hotter than average today. It had been for 400 million years. This hot, humid time is known as the mid-Eocene, climate optimum. The lava-covered soils, known as paleosols, 
are important today because they are conduits for groundwater, aquifers, which create long-lasting springs and give us continually running streams and the ecosystems dependent upon them. The aquifers are also drilled into for groundwater, for some for livestock, irrigation, town water supply on the Austinville Plateau today. <coughs> Nearly all the major creeks and rivers of the Big Scrub flow because of the large amount of groundwater feeding them. Just imagine water recharging the Wilsons River, fresh water discharging underground, hidden from view, directly into the bottom of the river, the hillside springs trickling down, gradually forming lava and larger and larger streams as they eventually join together. Eventually the eruption stopped and lovely fertile deep red soils developed and continue to develop today. These deep red soils were one of the essential ingredients for the extent of the subtropical rainforests of the big scrub. The Tweed Volcano. Some 15 million years after the Alstonville basalt flowed over the land, the most well-known of Australian volcanoes made its debut appearance. The big scrub area continued to be shaped by local effects from tectonic scale changes. As the Australian plates slowly continued to move away from Antarctica, Eastern Australia moved over a hot part of the Earth's mantle. The heat gave rise again to the molten rock that erupted the surface. The process began on the Sunshine Coast around 35 million years ago. And as Australia moved north, a chain of lava fields and volcanoes were left. By 23 and a half million years ago, it was our region's turn. Lavas from the Tweed volcano began to erupt. The main centre of volcanism was the area of modern day Mount Warning. <coughs> preferably and always called Willumban. But many cracks and vents on the flanks of the volcano also outflowed lava, and the overall shape of the volcano became that of a shield, as lava flows thinned and solidified further away from the entire the centre of the volcanic activity. The lava eruptions initially were probably relatively calm, as far as volcanoes go. Rivers of basalt lava rapidly flowed through the region. The biggest parts of our big scrub area were then being formed as the southern portion of the massive volcano. The rocks from this time are known as the Lismore Basalt. The Lismore Basalt continued to erupt in lava flows for around 200,000 years. Then the Tweed volcano changed its character. At around 23.3 to 23.2 million years ago, the Tweed volcano turned violent. <coughs> the chemical composition of the lavas changed from basalt to quartz, rich rhyolite. Streams of basalt lava gave way to chunks of rhyolite lava blasted into the sky. Superheated gas, ash and rock were violently ejected from craters and vents around the Tweed volcano. A series of events existed in what is now Nightcap National Park. Evidence of the violence of the eruptions is preserved in the rock there. Rock composed of volcanic glass and the near instant cooling of lava occurs 
right around the nightcap area. The volcanic glass is mixed with agglomerate, which is a rock blasted into pieces by the eruptions. The area must have been reshaped every time an eruption took place, and as far as we know, there must have been many, many eruptions. Thick, slow-moving lava flows were mixed with the explosive deposits in the sticky, silica-rich lava, slowly covered the volcanic glass. The slowness of the lava flows is evident from the flow banding preserved in the lava. The rhyolite lava and volcanic glass are together called the Nimbin rhyolite. You can see just how much lava was extruded by peering over the safety railings at Minion Falls. Repentance Creek flows over the rhyolite deep into the valley below. The water has actually worn away the valleys by targeting the softer basalt lava under the tough rhyolite. The rhyolite is undermined by the waterfalls and blocks eventually break away, leaving deep gorges and sheer sides. At the bottom of the falls, you can stand on blocks that have fallen down. Stand on these rocks and look up and think of the terrifying idea of cliff walls breaking away. These processes continue today in the same way as when the Tweed volcano spluttered out the activity. The last splatters produced the last volcanic rocks of the big scrub. The Tweed volcano had one final period of rapidly flowing basalt lavas. These may have occurred at the same time as the rhyolite, <clears throat> but the basalts are certainly the last lavas of the volcano. Climate seesaw to Homo sapiens. Although things were getting hot with the Tweed volcanic eruptions, global climate began to cool. Temperatures across the planet entered cycles of cooling and warming. But always the trend to, was to colder until approximately 150,000 years before the present day. Our area was not immune to these changes. While it was cold, Water was locked up in the polar ice caps. The sea level fell and coastal valleys were cut deeply by streams to depths lower than possible today. The Wilsons, Richmond, Tweed and other rivers cut deeply into the ground. And for this reason, large sections of these rivers are actually deeper than sea level today. The tech-savvy fishers and fish-finding sonar know this characteristic very, very well. This was a time of climate seesaw, and although the very broad trend was colder and the period called the Quaternary, the earth suddenly became much hotter, and hotter than today. Correspondingly, the sea rose and flooded and lower parts of the Big Scrub region, particularly in the Wilsons River Valley area. A giant estuary extended from Eltham, Bexhill, Lismore, covering all the present-day Richmond River floodplain. Estuarine mud settled, but since the temperatures were so warm, corals flourished where they could take hold on rocky coastal headlands, and fragments of these corals were washed into the estuary during storms. The mud deposited at this time is called the Gundarimba clay. It is mainly the mud that has eroded from the volcanic rocks that make up the region, but shells and coral fragments can sometimes be found in it. The Gundarimba clay underlies all of our floodplains, 
and is a pale grey, very dense yet slippery material. This clay is prone to slide away in large chunks from exposed riverbanks. It's one of the many reasons why our part of the world is very sensitive to large-scale human interference. The indigenous people of the land would have been present for the last cycle of the geological and climate change. The Aboriginal people would have settled while this region was in the cooling and drying cycle. The temperature would have decreased as much by several degrees below today's temperatures. Rainfall is thought to have been less too as dry, cold deserts were present in the New England region during this time. The changes that might have occurred to the vegetation of the big scrub are mostly speculative. But from pollen spores in the most recent sediments, it appears that eucalyptus are the more common than they were than they are today. Eventually this cooling cycle ended and we entered a period known as the Holocene. And conditions for the lowland subtropical rainforest of the big scrub area have been perfect for the last 10,000 years as geological and climate environment entered a period sometimes referred to as modern climate optimum. That's the end of that little bit of the story about the volcanic activity around here. <coughs> anyway, I hope you're feeling a bit better today and sleeping a bit. And when I pick you up from the airport on Friday morning, afternoon, lunchish, we're going to drive towards Tweed Heads, which is where the last final explosive, extrusive volcanic eruptions happened. And then we drive towards my place, which is, I've got clays and rhyolite uh, just on the top of Blue Knob, which you can see from my place. So Lillian Rock itself is rhyolite. And then you've got Blue Knob beyond that, which has got, uh, it's got rhyolite and then it's got um, basalts as well and it's got some of the red soils on top of there that are similar to what are over at Austinville and the Lismore basalts and the floodplain and the whole story and reading that um, I think I might reread that again and do a proper podcast for my podcast but this one is just for you and I hope you're feeling better and maybe if you listen to this, you might fall sleepy bias. Um, anyway, hanging out to see you. And I hope you feel better soon. Bye.